It's road time. Welcome to Rolanda On Demand. I love my podcast because we not only tackle the tough issues of the day, but we deal with hot topics, celebrity interviews, and information that can help you in your business or relationships. This is Rolanda On Demand. Hi there, I'm Rolanda Watts, and welcome to Rolanda On Demand. Today, I have a great guest. For those of you who are looking for change in life, it starts with the brain. You got to train your brain sometimes. And I have a great neuroscientist who's joining us. Chad Lefebvre is a neuroscientist who's going to teach us a lot more than I bet you knew about your own brain. C-Suite Radio. I'm really excited about my guest today here on Rolanda On Demand because Chad has been a longtime friend. We have met each other around some pretty significant people with some significant messages, and Chad is one of those folks. A very interesting message. We're going to talk about neuroscience today with a neuroscientist. I love this. Uh, Chad Lefebvre is a design-thinking business strategist. He's a neuromarketing communications executive and a self-mastery coach. Nearly 20 years of executive business and leadership experience, including areas of senior management and operations, business development, branding, marketing, corporate and crisis communications, stakeholder relations, and PR, technology design and development and investor relations, my God, spanning not only the United States, but also Canada. He has served as a CEO, president, and CMO for many a startup and mid-sized company. And in addition to that, he works as a consult consultative strategist. Uh, he is currently the founder and senior partner at NeuroBee Inc., which is a neuroscience and behavioral psychology-based design thinking, think tank, and coaching company. You want to talk about a brainiac? Hey, Chad, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> it must be something to be that brilliant i mean that's a lot of oh man my brain i don't know i, I don't look at it that way personally but thank you <laughs> but you, you know, I i'm just really curious yeah well you know what i have an insatiable curiosity and that's what gives me my science and journalism but your right. curiosity is very different you study nerves and the brain and all what is neuroscience to begin with well, in, in the most general sense, uh, what it is, is it's really the science of the brain, how the brain functions, um, what goes on in the brain. Um, it dips, spills into neuropsychology when we start looking at how people make choices and how people make decisions, which is where I've spent a lot of my time over the years being very curious about how people make the choices they make and why they make the choices they make. And I think I got interested in this sort of line of inquiry because of uh, my work in marketing and in branding. And I was also always really intrigued with, you know, why did someone buy that product over this product? Or why does someone, you know, feel a more emotional affinity towards this brand versus that brand? You know, what's really going on in the brain um, to make, you know, people choose one thing over another. And so, um, my, my background, um, in terms of researching in neuroscience was because of my work in the tech space, but it quickly shifted into more of the neuropsychology and the choice making the behavioral side of everything. And that's where I spend a lot of my time today. Why do we make the choices that we make? I mean, why is McDonald's number one? I mean, yeah, I mean, I love McDonald's, but they don't have the best hamburgers. But we go back and McDonald's is number one. Why do we choose Tide? Why do we, why do we choose these brands that are notoriously 
humongous, which signifies that people are making that choice over so many others. Is it their great marketing or what's going on in our brains? Hmm. You know, that's a really big question. I think I'd like to answer that by starting to just talk a little bit about how you know, the brain even works in terms of how people make choices, which will inform sort of the thinking around that. You know, the first thing I want people to realize, Rolanda, is that people are powerful and are capable of change. Hmm. And, but, but most people are really of two minds. You know, we've got this emotional brain, as some call it, and we've got this conscious mind, right? And the emotional brain is, is, is the part of our brain that is really designed to keep us alive. It's on the lookout for all the things that aren't going to work out for us. It tends to view the world quite negatively or through a, almost sort of a pessimistic lens. Right. And, then, and then our conscious mind, on the other hand, is the mind of possibility. We see how great life can be. We see how um, we envision ourselves as accomplishing all of these things. We set goals from that place. And so these two minds are often at odds. In terms of the reason we buy what we buy, we have to take a journey back into our childhood, quite frankly, because our brains were really predisposed to mitigate risk, that emotional brain. And we learned when our brain was developing what we can trust, what we couldn't trust, what we like, what we don't like, um, what's risky, what's not risky. And so, you know, there's a, it's, it's a very broad sort of conversation because it has everything to do with socioeconomics, the neighborhood you grew up in, the people that you hung around, what you're going to have a proclivity towards buying. Mm-hmm. It's not just marketing genius, although I can talk a little bit about how marketing really works on the brain. Yes, but, and we're going to get back to that. How do I get somebody to buy my products? But go on yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to talk about that. But in terms of sort of like, where people end up in life and the choices that they make and the things that they're really interested in and attracted to, a lot of that is set when we're children. Mm-hmm. And so, so in one way, you can really look at it like our, our unconscious or our emotional mind or subconscious or our emotional mind is really running the show. Some people estimate that 97% of the over 4,000 choices we make a day are made by our subconscious mind. Wow. You fact, say, but wait a minute. You say that goes back to childhood. Is that because mama bought Tide or dad, did, you know, is that because that was just our experience or what do you mean when you say it goes back to childhood? Yeah. So when, when we're really young, right. I mean, if you think about it, the analogy I use is if you think of like a deer or a horse, right. When they're first born, they have to develop their legs. They have to develop it quickly. So they survive. Well, human beings don't run fast, but what we have that's unique is our brain. And so our brain is actively you know, perceiving and being aware of everything that's going on in our childhood. And we, we also are very emotional in our, uh, what we now know in neuroscience is that before the brain makes a decision at the subconscious level, that's very automatic. An emotion is what sparks what part of the brain gets activated. So when we talk about childhood, if my mom bought Tide and for some reason, I have this emotional memory of my mom hanging the sheets outside like to dry or something like that. That could be what's buried deep in my brain when I'm standing at Ralph's deciding, am I going to buy Tide today? That's right, because you're looking at that vast, I mean, there are whole aisles full of the stuff, one thing we want, and there are 50 million choices. Right. And how do we continuously put certain products 
as number one forever. I mean, so I guess it is that memory thing, a smell, a sense of memory, uh, the way we remember mom hanging those clothes. I, I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing to realize is that our subconscious mind is, is really defaulted to perceptions of what's real. And this is important. So if I were to ask you or you were to ask me, you know, we're, we're standing in front of a, I don't know, a carnival or something, and we're both talking to each other about what we're observing or we're experiencing, you're going to have a slightly or potentially a very different experience of what's real or what's important or what you're paying attention to than I might, mm -hmm. right? And I'm going to make decisions at a subconscious level that are informed from my past, my history, the things that my brain feels are important for me to attend to, and so will you. So these notions of sort of reality are really subjective. You know, ultimately, no human being knows what actual reality is. It's all perceptions. Right. So, I agree with that. I have often said that we are a culmination of all of our experiences. And when you 100%. said the fair, I immediately went back to the Dixie Classic Fair in North Carolina, which was the most wonderful memory I have. But somebody else might be scared of clowns and go totally berserk when they hear the, the thing about a fair. You know, so exactly. you're right. We are a culmination of our experiences and existence. Yeah. Yeah, and go even deeper. Consider this. So as adults, 97% of the choices for our lives, choices about what we believe is possible, choices about who we are, choices about what we believe others believe about us, mm -hmm. choices about what actions we take from what to eat, from where to live, from the types of people we associate with, from the prod to the products we buy, how we spend our money and time. All of these are driven by the subconscious mind which defines our perception of what's real and relevant to our survival. So it's very complicated. Mm. How do we know when the subconscious brain is out of control? Like, cause sometimes those memories are negative and sometimes those memories stump us and, and, and stop our growth. How do you, how do you handle the subconscious mind? So it works for your growth and progression. Well, that's a great question. And it's actually quite frankly, where I'm spending a lot of my focus and my time these days because um, as I started, you know, we started talking today, I was saying to you that people are powerful and capable of change. Mm -hmm. The thing that most people are, are afraid of, and they're not even necessarily present to or conscious to it, is the perceived pain associated with change. So here's the example I'll give you, right? So if I'm sitting in coach on an airline and um, I'm told that there's an empty seat in first class, would I like to have it? Mm -hmm. There's no perceived pain to that change. So I'm going to be like, absolutely. I'd love <laughs> to sit in first class, right? Yeah. So it's like, because my brain could predict the outcome and there was no perceived pain, I'm okay with change. That tells us that human beings are okay with change. They're not okay with the uncertainty. And because our subconscious mind goes negative, we assume uncertainty means painful we don't want to do it. Right. And I was, very, I was very curious about this because I spent a lot of years in the personal growth and self-help space, working with a lot of different brands and companies in there. And I was always really, I found it peculiar that, you know, as human beings, we spend, the, the most recent estimates I saw globally are about $100 billion a year on self-help and personal growth content. Wow. What does that tell you? It tells you human beings want to change. Mm. They want to better themselves, Okay. That's that conscious mind of possibility that we love to spend time in. 
Unfortunately, our subconscious mind doesn't want us to change because it (laughs) sees it as risky. You're going to do what? Even (laughs) though, right? It's like, even though an individual might have health issues, maybe they're struggling with disease. It could be a function of diet or things that they could change. Here's an interesting study. There was a study done on heart attack patients. And these were people that had a heart attack and were told by their doctor, if you do not change lifestyle, diet, this sort of thing, within five years, you have a very high chance of having another heart attack and and dying statistically. Less than 10% of those people did anything to change their lifestyle. Why though? I mean... I mean, I I get what you're saying about the brain saying, I don't like change because that's uncomfortable and that's not where we should be. But, but that's where my question comes again. How do you, when you know, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you train your brain? (laughs) Well, well, yeah. So there's a lot of things that you can do and it it begins with, it begins with awareness so that this is going on, right? Just, just, just people knowing that, that where they are in their life and what they're experiencing as life and whether they're experiencing states of unhappiness or feeling not very powerful or not liking their job or not like, you know, whatever it is, it's completely alterable. You can alter your existence. Mm -hmm. And the way that you do it is first starting with an awareness around this is how the brain works. Second is action. And one of the things that I teach within the workshops and stuff when I work with people is it's not enough to just goal set, right? We're really big on setting goals, writing them down and stuff like that. (laughs) You still got to take the action. That's right. And this is where people usually fall down in terms of seeing that change. Why action is so important, I'll put it real simple. We have in our brain habits that have been stored, okay? Neural networks that have been stored since, uh, since we were children of ways of being, ways we perceive the world, how we make subconscious decisions. Those are finely ingrained in our brain. Stories we, we tell ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and we need to change those. The only way to change it is to take new action. By taking new action, the brain creates a whole new workspace in the brain and starts creating new neural pathways. And the more you take that action, the deeper those pathways get and you're creating a new habit. It takes 66 days to create a habit. Now give me an example of how that could come to play. Okay. Well, so how pick health and wellness. All right. A lot of people are really concerned about health these days. And let's say that someone wanted to um, whether it was to lose weight, I'm, I'm not a big fan of people losing weight just to lose weight. I actually am a big believer in health. I think you should be healthy and weight loss just happens because you're healthy, right? right. It's more important to be healthy. So let's say somebody wants to actually start eating healthy and they've grown up in their house. They were eating, you know, high sugar, uh, white breads, no greens and vegetables, you know, maybe that's the way they grew up. And so they're just used to eating that type of food, but they're very, their conscious mind saying, no, you got to get healthy. So what we have to do is create new habits, new ways of being. So an example of a habit would be, I'm not going to buy that food anymore and have it in my house. Therefore I'm not tempted. And I'm going to replace those snacks because I like the snack with healthy snacks. Mm-hmm. And therefore in my weak moments, okay, where I don't have a lot of willpower, it's nine o'clock at night, and I would normally go for those unhealthy snacks while I'm watching television. Oh, I don't have them in the house, so I have to go to my healthy snack. So that very practical, functional 
a bit of advice there is forcing us into a new way of being that will become a habit. Eventually, that person will go into the grocery store, maybe not the first 20 or 30 times, but eventually they're going to stop even thinking about going down that unhealthy snack aisle. It's just not going to be an option. And they will have experienced one example of changing who they're being. Right. So self-awareness first. I like that. Self-awareness, seeing where you are. And then making those conscious decisions that they're twofold. Where do I want to be? Because that's going to have to overrule where you are. That's going to have yep. to be like the, and and then what small, as I say, taking giant leaps and baby steps. What baby step am I going to take consistently, repeatedly yep. toward my goal? Yeah, I yep. like that. I like that. And, and structure, here's the thing to remember. Structure always wins. <laughs> it does. Right. So some, you know, I have friends who say, oh, gee, you know, I really should go start doing yoga. And then I'll say to them, well, let's take a look at your day. Where, where would you choose to do yoga? And so they, they'll itemize their day. Oh, you know what? I have no time to do yoga. No, exactly. I'm so guilty. I'm so guilty. <laughs> right? Nothing. It's like, where, I make my list. It's like, where is exercise here? You yeah, know? Yeah. 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 And so it's a great example of how the structure of your life, even though you might have a great intention, you want to do yoga. But if your life is structured in such a way where it's completely impossible to do yoga, you you can't take the action. So you're going to fail. And this is, you know, Rolanda, this is how we as human beings, it's just a human thing. We set ourselves up for chronic failure Mm -hmm. because our mind sees what's possible but functionally, we take no action to create a structure to make what's possible occur. So what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Where well, do we start? <laughs> so we, so, because I so think we, everybody, I hear this resounding, oh my God, I think he's talking about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, the first thing is awareness. So let's right. get aware, right? Then what supports awareness is arm yourself with information about whatever goals you may have for your life, okay? What is it actually going to take to carry this out? is, you know, be realistic with yourself. Is it even possible to do this at this stage of your life? Sometimes it might not be. So give yourself a break and stop beating yourself up about it, right? But if it is possible, then you've got to get really clear about the outcome that you're looking for. And then you've got to look at your life, practically your calendar, your schedule, like what have you got going on? Are there things you're doing in your life that you've been doing for years just because you've been doing them for years and you actually could probably drop them? I keep and telling people, I said, stop trying to fit in places you've outgrown. Because you totally. remember those pants and shoes you outgrew? Very uncomfortable to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So so it's, it's, it's simple, but it's complex. It's awareness. It's arming yourself with the information you need. And then ensuring you can take action. And, and the only way to ensure you can is by altering the structure of your life so that when you want to take that action, like go to yoga, you can succeed at doing it. You know, we beat ourselves up so much because we say, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Then we don't do it. Why? Because the structure doesn't support it. Mm. And then we make it, make ourselves wrong about it. It's actually, I think you tapped on something there. So the structure is everything. I'm writing that down. Structure is what determines our lives and and the success of our goals. And the lack of structure is what solidifies failure. Gosh, yeah, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Well, I, I put it this way. Your life is either by default or by your own design. <laughs> yeah. and, and you can design your life the way you want it, but it's going to require different structures. 
Mm-hmm. It's so right. true. I think a lot of people go through life, uh, you know, and especially out here in Hollywood, a lot of artists go through life like, I'm going to get the big call. I'm going to, my agent's going to, life It's the success and the dreams are based on everybody else. The dependency yeah. on everybody else, including the default system and something falling out of the sky. Right. And I, the structure, the going to the workshops, the meeting, ma- making those meetings, whatever that action is, is what is going to solidify those goals. That's very true. Change may be difficult, but when you break it down to changing your structure, it doesn't seem as intimidating. You know, it right. seems like, oh, if I could juggle around a meeting or two, okay, I could do that as opposed to, oh my God, I've got to change my life and myself. Yeah, bit by bit, as we're saying, and a little bit of that structure change, I think will, I think that's very, very informative and doable. You know, do doable. And the other thing I would say is people shouldn't try. And by the way, this applies to business as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this, everything we're talking about is just a human, a, a way of being human, right? I mean, humans constitute companies and businesses. And so if you want better performance out of a department or a division or, um, you know, whatever is going on in your company, it's just, you got to look at the structures because the structure will always win. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say is, don't take it all on all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might envision yourself as, uh, you know, in many different aspects of change that you want to see occur in your life. But if you try to take it all on all at once, you may be setting yourself up for failure because you can't move from one life structure, maybe one that you've been living for 20 years mm-hmm. and completely alter it in like a two month window. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. It's just too much. Yeah. But you know, it's like anybody who wants to transform their, their body or like you, you use the health example, you just don't change overnight and lose the 20 pounds. It's a process. You start with a brisk walk, then you might move to the treadmill, then you might lift right. the weight, but these things take time. And I think, you know, we're in such an instant gratification era that, that it's, you know, the brain doesn't accept that sometimes, you know? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Chad, you are also um, a design thinking business strategist. And a lot Mm. of people's business is the art of selling and marketing. And so you're not only dealing with your brain for success, you've got to deal with other people's brains too. How do you... How do you tap into the thinkingness of other people who are your potential clients, your potential customers? How do you change the tide so that they accept and choose you. Yeah. So it's important to understand how people make choices when it comes down to buying things, but, and, and not just buying things, but everything. There's this, um, there's this sequence that I teach when I work with clients called the logical story sequence. And um, it just is a little formula that helps us understand or a framework through which we can understand maybe our marketing messages or our marketing tactics. And it goes like this. And it's the way that our brains work. So before we take an act, before we choose subconsciously to take an action, what we do is we experience an emotion. So this could be imagine yourself at the checkout counter at a point of sale and there's all these products you know laid out in front of you or maybe it's online shopping. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) And and whatever the subconscious mind is wherever it's pulling it from, there's an, now, is there's an emotion. Now, what I'm about to tell you, this logical story sequence occurs between 1.7 and 2.2 seconds. It's that fast. So in that 1.7 to 2.2 seconds, we feel an emotion. We take an action or a reaction to that emotion, which in the case of marketing is to buy something. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then 
And it, remember, this is all in that 1.7 to 2.2 seconds. Then we tell ourselves a logical story. Or what I say is we rationalize what we just did. And I like to play on the word. We tell ourselves a rational lie. We rationalize. <laughs> Lies. Oh. <laughs> that is so smart. I'll remember yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. Because, Chad, let me tell you what I do. I'll go buy some shoes, say, and yeah. it's like, how do I justify this? Now I know the word is rationalize. Rationalize. <laughs> <laughs> and what I do is I say, okay, if the shoes are $100, would I spend $10 to rent these shoes every time I buy them? I say, yes. Would you wear yeah. them 10 times? Well, then you paid your money back. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so that's your rational you lie. You caught me. You caught me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, now, if you're the marketer, if you're the company trying to sell these products, no. you, you work backwards. So you ask yourselves, what emotion do I want to evoke in my customer, mm -hmm. right? To get them to react to want this. Mm -hmm. And then what story do I want them to tell themselves? You know, good marketing provides the rational lie story up front. So there's no thought that's required. Get right? the spots out of your clothes. Exactly. <laughs> this right? will make your skin clear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're tapping into those emotional bits, those subconscious emotional bits um, that, um, that many of us experience through the course of our lives. I mean, <clears throat> our lives are fairly predictable in certain ways because we have a common society where we have a fairly common, you know, experience of what we're all perceiving as real. And there's a value system that's, you know, somewhat common. So based on some of these very common sort of ways of perceiving and living life, marketers can come up with value-based key messages with um, stories that tap a common childhood that many would have experienced. Um, you know, they're, they're archetypal tropes, essentially, these stories that we buy into. Mm -hmm. And understand what I teach people is they're never buying your product. Mm -hmm. They're buying the story in their mind that your product is filling for them. Do people buy on fear? Sometimes they do. Because I, I know, find, like the news business is all about fear. Oh my God, there you, you this could happen to you if you don't listen to our story at six. <laughs> yeah, you know well, it's a fear factor. But yeah, but I guess you you I guess in a strange way you do tap into what people don't want. That's why they need to watch or they need to buy or they need to. I guess you tap into the problem. Yeah, what we do know is that um, from a brain perspective that products um, or services that are sold not using fear mm -hmm. um, have more longevity in the life cycle of that. That person will be more loyal to those, those brands. If you don't sell on fear. If you don't sell on fear. If you sell a good story or it, it, it elicits a good feeling, mm -hmm. um, we're going to stay with those products longer. What fear does, though, is it causes sort of that reactionary sale, mm -hmm. right? So ah, it's a, I see. It's a, so what you're saying is you want a quick sale or you want a long-time customer? Exactly. That's the question. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. 
Yeah. You can make a quick sale on fear. It's kind of like a hurricane's coming and everyone cleans out the bottled water. And buys insurance. (laughs) Right. And buys insurance. Right. And then they might cancel it, you know, six months later. Exactly. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. So you have to ask yourself what your objectives are for your company, for the, for what you're selling. Um, are you sort of a high rotation, high volume type of business? Um, or are you some, you know, a brand that's going to stick with your customers and want a long-term relationship. I usually advise to stay away from the fear-based selling anyway, because I just think it's negative energy. Yeah. And I don't, li- I don't like to play in that space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some of the surprises that you've learned? I mean, because I think that when you study something as, as fascinating, as fascinating as the brain and the choices that we make, I bet there, even as a scientist, Chad, there were things that you were like, wow, I didn't, I mean, what were some of the biggest surprises in your journey in this field? One of the biggest surprises is, is something I turned into a module in one of my courses actually, um, was the discovery and I'm, this is the way I phrase it, but the discovery that human beings are at a default state addicted to their own failure. Oh, and, no. Yeah. And that uh-uh. was a that fascinating. Makes it easy to fail. <laughs> it's super easy to fail. Yeah. I mean, Why and are not we only... addicted to failure. And you say that's something naturally in our brains? Yeah. So um, our brains, uh, you know, subconsciously remember that the brain is here to keep you alive. Right. So what happens is if we want to make a change in our life, um, remember I told you we've got the emotional brain and the conscious mind. And so the emotional brain is at war with the conscious mind. The conscious mind is looking at everything that's possible, our higher selves. Uh, you know, it tends to lean positive. The emotional brain goes negative. And, and unfortunately, it's like I was saying to you, um, 75 or, or sorry, 97% of all choices are at the subconscious level, which is at that level of that emotional brain. So what happens is, and um, you know, it was years ago, I was working in Las Vegas, um, and, um, we were, we were analyzing sort of the addiction psychology behind slot machines <laughs> and, and why, you know, I was asking the question, why do people sit at these machines? They know that the house odds are against them and just Always pump wins. in the money. Right. <laughs> right. And, and in the, in the gambling and the addiction literature, they have this term that they call a near loss. I flipped it and I call it a near win, but here's what it is. And then I'll explain the failure piece. So what they discovered was that they could alter the experience that a person was having with slot machines. If they could deliver more of these, what they called near losses. So a total loss is when nothing lines up. A near loss is when two slots line up and the third almost does, but it doesn't quite get there. And Mm -hmm. you can see that it almost would tick in. In that moment, more dopamine is flushed through your brain than if you actually won. And what they so you so what these neurochemicals do is they give us feelings of pleasure and enjoyment. Mm -hmm. So our brain rewards us for almost winning more than if we had won. So I could see that. Right? Yeah. So so then it hit me. This doesn't just happen in casinos. This happens everywhere. As a matter of fact, the personal growth space with all its books and courses and everything that's sold, the reason it's so difficult for people to change is because they go buy the new, let's say, Tony Robbins book or something. Mm -hmm. Now, they have the desire to change. 
But that subconscious mind does not want them to read that book, which is why they, there's the running joke in the industry of shelf help. You buy it and put it on a shelf, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um, because our brain doesn't want to, right? So, and how does it prevent us from doing that? We're standing in the line. We're buying the Tony Robbins book. We're thinking to ourselves. I'm taking action. Right. I'm, I'm changing my life. <laughs> and, and we're getting that high standing in line while we're at Barnes and Noble. We're getting that high. We go home. We feel great. We just bought a Tony Robbins book. Life is about to change. We put it on the shelf. Life gets busy. Structure takes mm-hmm. over. The kids come home. We start making dinner, blah, blah, blah. Or we know it two weeks have gone by. We haven't even looked at that book. That's right. That's and our so brain, true. Yeah. And our brain rewarded us neurochemically to forget about it. That's what I mean when I say addicted to failure. I mean, physiologically, we are addicted to the neurochemicals that give us the payoff to do nothing. Wow. That's not good. So, so it really makes you look at people who are super successful, like a Tony Robbins and some, a lot of the people you've worked with. I mean, you've worked with Beyonce, you've worked with Stephen Covey, you've worked with Jack Canfield. I mean, these are very successful people. So it tells me that they have got super brains because they've overcome the, the availability and the naturalness is what you're saying. Natural tendency to, to, to go, I mean, so it makes me think that people who really succeed are like super giants. I mean, they must have really, I mean, they've outsmarted their brain. Well, yeah, they have outsmarted their brain. I don't want to make it seem like they're sort of like untouchable, like there's no way we could attain that because anybody can do this. But what they're really good at doing is understanding that the structure of their life is the thing that will make or break their success and change. Say that one more time. Say that one more time because this is the key right here. Yeah, yeah. What they're really good at doing is understanding that the structure of their life will make or break their ability to change. Mm -hmm. So they change their structure. It's actually, they're not that super of a person compared to any other person. They They just know, remember awareness, they know if I don't change my structure, I don't change. Wow. Because, and you know something, and in a kind of metaphysical aspect of that same thing, Chad, is when people say that, you know, once you, once you have that dream, you've got to take the action because the universe needs to know if you're intentional. I mean, yeah. you know, and, you're, and when you change your structure, if you say, I want to be an actor and you start going to workshops and you start going to the gym and you start doing those things that you have to do to, to boost your career, then the universe kind of opens up for you. What you're saying is more than totally. the universe, your brain opens up for you and it's going to help you follow that structure to your reinventional goal, basically. Well, yeah, your subconscious mind is, is a pathway to universal consciousness. Right. And so, you know, when we can alter how our subconscious mind is behaving, is existing, is operating, it gives us access to what's possible. And so by changing the structure of our lives, we're shifting the energy in our lives. We're getting rid of things that no longer serve us, that are just gunking up our time. Maybe they're just habits that we've kept just because, you know, they're not even maybe serving us anymore. Um, You know, one of the things I always challenge people to do is every year, look around your house, look around, you know, your life and do a little evaluation like spring cleaning. Look around your life, the people you're spending time with, you know, it, are they still serving who you're committed to being in the world? Mm. Is your environment still serving who you're committed to being in the world? 
Are the things, you know, when you look around your house, does everything in your house give you life? Does it make you feel joy? Is yeah, it, is right. it, you sound like you a know? tidy lady. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. But, but it, it's true because our structure defines us, right? And so, you know, one thing I've said that some people consider controversial, it's not really that controversial, but, you know, we don't really need much more information. We live in the information age. I would say we have information overload right really? now. Really? Right. What we really need is to start taking action and to eliminate the noise of the information because whatever you need to know, it's available to you. So Absolutely. you can get access to it. Right? Absolutely. So, so it's not about buying the third version of the book that you already have two versions of sitting on your shelf. That's just, that's just the near win playing on your brain. You know, mm-hmm. you need to start looking at the structures of your life. Are they supportive with what you say you're committed to, what your goals are, what your real intention is for your life or not? And if they're not, then you need to change your structures, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. No matter what your brain says. (laughs) No matter what. It's not going to want you to. It's going to say, oh, that little thing over there, that's from, you know, so-and-so, your ex-husband, you know, whatever the story is, right? I got to keep that (laughs) one day. You know, get the toxicity out and, you know, look at your life, look at your goals, look at what gives you joy and makes you happy and build a structure around that. And then, like you said, the universe will start to attract that opportunity. To you. That's right, because it'll be laid out. It'll be laid out like a like a golden road. Yep. Boy, I tell you, you, you took me on quite a journey there, Chad. And I think that there's some really, there's some great takeaways there. Um, mm. and, and the main thing is, is self-awareness and being aware that, you know, sometimes it's not the devil talking to you. It's just your own brain, but you have, you have a way to deal with that and, and not, you know, you don't have to fall prey to your own way of thinking, the old ways of thinking. And I think clutter and is like clearing your brain. Um, I I had to look around here and go, Oh my God, where am I? Who am I? (laughs) And why do I have this stuff? So I'm all a part of the spring cleaning thing to spring into action and spring cleaning. Those are absolutely Anything well, me, else that you want to say about all of this? I, I actually just want to leave your um, your viewers with sort of a, a little sort of tip that I think might be helpful for them. Please, please. Okay. Um, and so, you know, when we were talking about sort of cleaning out, you know, your life and stuff like that, the, the thing that I think is most important for people to realize is that, and, I, and we started to talk with this, that that you are immensely powerful. I'm speaking, you know, to all the viewers there. You you are not a victim. None of us are victims mm-hmm. to the life circumstance that we may be in at the moment. It may feel like we're a victim, but we're really not. Our brains are magical, powerful things. We know from neuroplasticity, they have the ability to change. And what we need to do is just be able to um, create structures around us that support the change we want to be and see in the world. Now, one technique that I use just as it's to develop that awareness that you were just talking about, and we didn't talk too much about this, but emotions are a very powerful um, cue for us to understand what's really going on in our subconscious. So what I've been doing this past year as a practice, um, and by the way, new practices eventually become disciplines and then that becomes new ways of being because you've created new habits is when I'm out somewhere and I have an emotion come up, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm forcing my emotions so that I become present to them versus them existing in my unconscious mind. So when I experience an emotion or 
Like say I just get agitated at something or whatever. I'll pause in that moment and I'll be like, okay, this is the emotion I'm feeling. What's going on around me that's bringing this up? Because I'm trying to deconstruct and analyze what my subconscious is picking up and throwing these emotions at me. What's it picking up and what struck, what am I triggered environmentally around me by that I would maybe need to become aware of so I could alter it or I could be different the next time this occurs, right? Right. So the technique and the trick is to not uh, react from your emotions, but to start to try to become the observer of your emotions, where you see them as almost just like little data clues into what's really going on at your subconscious mind, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you drill into it, you'll find a whole world in there of ways of being that aren't working for you. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can change them. Your emotions are actually your friend. Absolutely. I was talking with a girlfriend who had a little self-awareness moment. She was saying like, you know, I think the Oscars had happened or some big awards thing. And she said, you know, when it was over, I felt guilty because I was supposed to be so happy for everybody. And all they did was remind me of where I'm not. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, now, wait a minute, let's look at that. I mean, Mm -hmm. because you can't go around every Oscar time beating yourself up. I mean, so I think that, I think that there were things like that, that I think she was like, weirded out that she was feeling this kind of yuckiness, right. um, just feeling. And, and so it was like, well, there are things we can do. Maybe there's some, maybe that's a, that that's an alert system saying, uh, we, there, we need to tweak some, maybe the way we see ourselves, self-awareness, totally. totally being aware of how we see self and the story that we're telling self, because somewhere you've told yourself that you don't deserve to walk up there and get hundred percent guy. So let's go back and find out the why we're not doing things in my reinvention retreat. I talk a lot with my course mates and they're, they're saying that, you know, cause one of our, my first questions is because they say, I've got this goal. I want to do this. And I've always wanted to do this. And my question is, why haven't you done it? What are things that truly stump us? I'm finding that most of my clients, students say, you know, I, I was really afraid of what people would think of me or what they would say. Is that a common thread? I mean, why, what stops us from, from, from doing what we know to be true? Yeah. Looking good is a huge thing for people. Especially uh, the Instagram era. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Right. I mean, yeah. what's that jo- What's that joke? Uh, that was floating around. I hope your life is as good as you make it look on Instagram. Instagram, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I'm not really who I am. I'm who you want me to be, who I want you to see me to be. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. So looking good is a huge thing that stumps us. And, and we may even say, oh, I don't have any ego around that, or I don't care what people think of me. That's not true. Yeah. I mean, every, you know why? Because as human beings, we're social creatures. You're right. So it actually is, again, going back to the primal brain survival mechanism, mm-hmm. we need to be liked. We need to look good to be liked because then that means we're part of the group. Mm. It's, it's a survival thing. If we're not liked, we're... I think yeah. even more than survival, connection is what keeps us living and alive too. Well, connection. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they did those studies. Um, I'm trying to remember where they were. I think they were in Eastern Europe or something years ago where they had babies that oh, were yeah. in a nursery. Remember this? Yeah. And, and they, they had them separate or something like that. And then when they put them together, the babies were hugging each other and stuff and touching each other because we and they need found, that touch. 
And they found, I think there was, that was probably the same study or another study where they had yeah. two different divisions of babies. One group was hugged every day and caught. That's right. Yeah. The other yeah. group was ignored. And those kids did not do well who were ignored, but the other ones, you know, went on. In fact, I think it was, you know, it's life threatening. I think if you, I think it is yeah. very early age like that. I agree. So yeah. as adults, we need to look good because we need to be liked. That's just very rudimentary, you know, in terms of who we are as human beings, we're social by nature. And so, but the, but, and so there's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked and wanting to be part of the group, except when we put what other people's opinions about us above our own mm. and, and we start living for what we think they expect us to do and who we should be in their eyes, right? That's when there's a schism in, in who we are because all of a sudden who we think we ought to be, to be fully self-expressed, mm-hmm. to fully live into, you know, our purpose, our calling for life. And then it's, it's juxtaposed with, yeah, but they might not like it. Mm-hmm. And so now we're living a double life and that doesn't feel good. And eventually it'll eat us all up. That's We've got to right. be and true. So many miserable people who are living like, cause their parents said you had to be a doctor or a lawyer and they yeah. always wanted to be an artist or they always wanted to run a store or something that was more authentic to who they are. And, totally. and, you know, and I'm so shocked by that statistic that more than 80% of Americans hate their jobs. And yes. so, and Monday is the number one day for suicide. So there seems to be some kind of correlation there. But I think that, you know, we are in a, in a time right now where change has to be embraced. We are, 100%. I believe, on the verge of a very huge recession. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that recession is because of the way we're thinking. Um, I agree. And, and so we've got to be really prepared and, and we've got to change the way we think. And we have to think about change. And yeah. so I really appreciate this conversation today. I think there were some wonderful nuggets of information and, um, and, and inspiration too, Chad. Thank you mm. so much. Where Thank can you. we reach you and find out more about you and follow you and all that good stuff? Well, um, our website is Nairobi.com. That's N-E-U-R-O-B-E. And the, the, the word is a made up word, but it's your neurology determines your being, your, your, your brain connected to your being. Right. And we're very, we're very being focused. So you can go there and you can find out about our courses and workshops and retreats and stuff that we've got, uh, coming up. I also host a prototyping workshop, uh, for free every Sunday. If anyone's interested in looking at it, it's, uh, the most important conversations.com. And, um, it's me and two other facilitators and we bring in guest speakers and I actually think you'd be a great guest speaker one month. So we'll talk about that. (laughs) Okay. Um, but, um, and what we're, what we're, what we're prototyping is, can we create a online community through a workshop format that is global in nature? And we have people from all around the world on it. That's a prototype group. So we're not widely marketing it or anything right now. Um, but can we create a community in a group that within one year, every single person who joins the group and has done the work, um, they are a totally different human being mm-hmm. one year later in, in at least one area of their life, right? They get to decide what it is. We don't impose right. that. It's whatever they're focusing on. And what we do is every month we cover a different aspect of what we call our operating system of how the brain works and how, what a human being is and how we function. And so we're kind of hacking our brain and reordering our operating system. And it's uh, been a pretty fun experiment. So It's just, I I think it's fascinating. I know that I've always believed that the brain is a ballistic missile. And once Mm. you 
set your mind on something, it's going there. So you got to be real careful about what you're thinking about because you're going to bring it about. And that can work in, in negative ways and it can work in the most brilliant positive ways ever. And um, I I do believe that as we're tapping into faith and tapping into the art of reinvention and all of this stuff too, tap into your own brain, not just yourself, your brain, because sometimes it's operating totally separate from everything else and just reeling it all in. Chad, thank you so much for this. Thank you. And um, thank you so much for joining us here on Rolanda On Demand. Thank you. It was my pleasure. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave me a review and rating and tell your friends what we're doing over here at Rolanda On Demand. Please be sure to follow me on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, IG, and LinkedIn at Rolanda Watts. That's R-O-L-O-N-D-A-W-A-T-T-S at Rolanda Watts on all forms of social media. Also, check out my website at Rolanda.com. And pick up a copy of my romance suspense novel, Destiny Lingers, endorsed by Dr. Maya Angelou. It's about an investigative news reporter who gets a second chance at her first love. (laughs) It's a good one. And while I really appreciate your listening, it would mean the world to me if you would also subscribe to my podcast. Go on, just hit that subscribe button so I can remind you of all the good podcasts we have coming up. And we've got some great shows in the archives. Just binge. Do a Rolanda On Demand binge today and enjoy yourself. Thanks so much again for listening. Now go out there and do something good. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.